Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast, you beauties. Break is over, back in the workshop, and so we have our 30th episode underway. This week, we have quite a lot to talk about since on the forefront of this whole episode is going to be the UFC 270 event, which showcases two title fights, and in addition to that, we are also going to bite down into the most recent NHL news around the league. And frankly, quite a lot has happened since the last time we discussed about the NHL. Hopefully, you've had a tremendous start to your year, or at least if there's something to improve on, you have a full year to accomplish that, so just keep your head up, champ. Like I said, a lot to cover this week. And your boy is feeling good, so what do you say if this time we leave the chit-chat and step right in the middle of the octagon? Huh? That's what I thought. So as always, without further ado, let's get going. We have liftoff. We are going to leave the UFC talk for later, since first we have to cover all the most significant events from the NHL from the past couple of weeks, starting off with the major comebacks from Gino Malkin and Tukarask. It didn't take too long for Malkin to get back to his feet, since first came back, three years Super League, two Ginos and one Apple, keep the change. An overall point-per-game comeback so far in the first five games. The Pens are already humming along very nicely, so as I said in the previous episode, their offensive numbers should go up even more now that their number two center is back in full action in Steel City. On the other hand, that has forced Pens to a small predicament as they've had to drop their sensation Evan Rodriguez to the third line, while Teddy Bluger has been forced to play fourth line minutes, alongside Jack Aston Reese and Brock McGinn. That could affect number nine's offensive numbers, now that he no longer gets the top six minutes, and quite honestly, he's quite deserving of those with the way he's been putting the puck back in the net recently, but hopefully he doesn't slow down one bit and keeps his level, even alongside more defensive line mates. After all, the Pens are a pretty well-structured team, and by that I mean that they have offensive firepower in their top six, but the bottom six can chip in some offense as well from time to time, while being very reliable defensively. And their strength for certain is the fact that they can rotate all four lines in every game, since the gritty, high-energy playstyle their bottom six brings is really exhausting for any opponent, and the top two lines have looked really well balanced as of late and have found chemistry needed to put on offensive displays on most nights. Defense has been solid as well. Chris Letang is still an elite puck mover who leads their back office, and Tristan Jerry's strong season has been the cherry on top for the Penguins roster. And you have to remember that they can rotate Cappy and Rodriguez back and forth between the two lines since Both are very well-balanced players on both ends of the ice and both bring their best elements to the second line and the third line, whether it is Kapanen's speed or Rodriguez's goal scoring. And by no means, I think that Cappy couldn't find the back of the net, quite contrary. 
All in all, I like how the pens have looked so far and I've been pleasantly surprised by their performance so hopefully they can keep this going and even add one or two pieces in the deadline to secure their spot in the top eight in the conference. In Boston, the best goaltender in the franchise history, Tuukka Rask made his comeback to a Bruins uniform and although his first two games haven't gone the way B's fans probably hope for, he has more or less looked like his usual self and without a doubt will raise his level to an elite standard once he gets accustomed to the NHL pace again and gets few more games under his belt. I repeat once again, please, B's fans, be patient, because this guy hasn't played in six months, so we gotta give him some slack, because if he gets to his old level, you have a real X-factoring goal for the remainder of the season. Another great Finnish story has been blooming in Boston as Urho Vaakanainen has made his comeback onto the NHL ice and has looked very, very solid in the past few games. And I can only hope that this isn't just a marketing trick for the organization to showcase his skills for a few possible trade partners since he has the skills to become a solid top 4D man who can play on both ends of the ice. He has slowly made his way onto the NHL scene and some B's fans have unfortunately already lost hope for him since he couldn't make his real breakthrough onto their roster a couple of years back but now he looks more mature and the seasons spent in the AHL have really treated him well. I understand the point of view for many B's fans since you have already seen few somewhat miserable experiments with former first round picks in Sporeal and Lausanne but I hope that he can prove you wrong this time around. Regardless of his situation, he will be a great asset for a team if the Bruins decide to use him as a trade bait on the deadline. But if not, I can guarantee you that he will have a lengthy career in the bright lights if a team is willing to give him a proper chance. Lastly, for the Bruins, Pasta is slowly starting to heat up again and has found the back of the net pretty well in recent games, so I wouldn't count him out of the scoring race yet. Just saying. And before I forget, we saw one more comeback this week as the 2020 second overall pick, Quinton Byfield, made his season debut after recovering from his injury sustained during the preseason. So now we can finally really start to debate if the Rangers made a mistake when they drafted Alexis Lafreniere first overall. Great to see him back as well and excited to see what he can offer for the Kings during the remainder of the season because if he becomes a real producer for the Kings squad they could try to make some moves during the spring to load up for the next season or in the best case acquire assets to try to make the playoffs with his current squad. But those were the three comebacks that had to be mentioned so let's see what else happened during the time I was gone. Well, as of yesterday, the latest headline stated that the situation regarding Carey Price has cleared out a bit more and seemingly his rehabbing process has started from the ground zero again. And at this point, I would say that it would be a miracle if we saw him making his comeback onto the ice this season. The team currently has the best possible odds for the same right raffle and the season is already at its midpoint, so... I wouldn't necessarily take the risk of re-injuring the knee and would just make sure that 
the body and the mind are fully loaded once the comeback happens, hopefully at the start of the next season. Debatably, the best goaltender of this century has had a rough go during the past few years, so hopefully he can fight through this rough patch and recover to a point where he is able to enjoy the time spent with his family as well as inside the rink. The physical injuries are secondary at this point, so I hope that he has come to terms with his thoughts and is able to get back mentally to where he was when nobody could get the puck past him and could drag team to a playoffs almost by himself. So all the best for his recovery and I wish to see him back in action once he's ready both mentally and physically. Also, if you didn't notice, Kuch made his comeback against the Flames and few games later put up the usual quite humble three tucks against the Sabres. So I would say that the USADA should test this guy because that's just not f***ing humane. To just casually take few months off and continue right where he left off. Not to mention a full NHL season. And come back and literally just play some hockey. Or if it's that easy, let me have some of that medicine too. Because I could use some extra pep on my step as well. Some would say that it's that famous Russian gas, but we won't go into that rabbit hole. So let's just leave it at that. And while we're in Florida, let's not forget by far the most memorable moment of this NHL season, which happened in one of the Panthers' executive lounges this week. And you can probably already guess what I'm referring to. Exactly. The incident where a female defender in that booth tried to hip check Kodak Black during the intermission. We even got to see the video review of the brutal incident where Kodak was just putting bucks in deep when the girl stepped on the blue line and clipped him under the waistline. George Paris, the head of Department of Player Safety, is most likely going to arrange a personal hearing with the lady regarding the incident and if there's anything to go by with the most recent suspensions distributed. I would guess a five-game sussy is in place for clipping and probably a season ticket for the remaining Panthers home games. Horrible to see such incident during the game, but things just escalate when the games start to heat up. Hopefully Kodak is alright, and we can see him back in action very soon. While speaking of bodies, if you somehow missed it, Tom Wilson absolutely buried Anton Bleed couple days ago and I think that Bleed is still wondering where he parked his car before the game because that's gotta be one of the biggest hits of the season hands down. Bleed was cutting in from the right wing and didn't notice Wilson until his nose pointed up in the rafters and I can tell you that he felt that hit the next day. We haven't seen too many big bones from the Undertaker this season but he seems to be back from his quiet family vacation. Putting that aside, I hope that Bleed's possible concussion isn't bad and he can make a fast recovery, but until we hear the news, we just have to hope that he won't be sidelined for too long because he's been a good addition to their bottom six with this very greedy playstyle. But moving on 
I also have to point out that Braden McNabb has become one of the most feared blue liners in the NHL since he's been rocking guys left and right on the defensive blue line. And I'm pretty sure that the ice crews are still trying to scrape off some leftovers from the boards from those collisions. He has looked like a prime Rob Lake on the Knights back end and the defensive blue line corner in Vegas should be named as the cemetery because of all the bodies that have been buried in that exact spot. And because the gap between the red line and the blue line is so small, guys dumping pucks in deep are always in danger when they cross the red line and it is almost always a suicide mission when McNabb is on the ice. Just gotta love it, because you don't see too many of those in the modern NHL. Things also heated up between the Bruins and the Canes as they matched up against each other this week, and more specifically, the whole battle culminated to a Twitter slash Instagram war between Brad Marchand, who would have guessed, and Vincent Trocek from the Carolina Hurricanes. Canes also got their piece of it, but the main battle was between the two forwards, the whole thing started when Trocek was asked during an interview if his game style reminded of Marchand's, in which he responded by saying, Are you calling me a rat? Well, that roughed up some feathers in B-Town, and Marchi came straight back, with the stats pointing out that he was in the top 5 in active scoring leaders, and pulled up the stats from both guys over the past 15 years, with a quote, This is like comparing a Lambo to a Prius. And it didn't end there. Since after the game, Kane's official Twitter account released the final result of a 7-1 victory for the Canes with a quote, L stands for Lamborghini. Well, Marchi wasn't going to leave it at that and responded by saying that they were the reason why the NHL introduced the 20% escrow for the league. And the last nail came down when the Canes Twitter bio became a quote, this account is not responsible for escrow. And I mean, you gotta give credit to whoever runs that Twitter account, cause this is kind of rivalry that we didn't know we needed, but I'm damn glad that the whole thing escalated. Total bullshittery from both ends, and you have to love this kind of mental warfare, which gets people talking and the excitement grows before these two teams meet again. Great fight match overall and in the modern day you just can't see too many of these so you gotta respect the effort. But the team that doesn't bring any excitement to the table at the moment is the Edmonton Oilers and I would assume that something is going to happen in the oil country very soon. Whether it is a GM change or a trade because the team is currently looking like a full-on puppet show and the fans are really starting to get fed up with the current situation. Like I mentioned in the last episode, the incompetence of their GMs has prevented them from building a strong cohesive unit around their top guys, and the heat has really turned on in Edmonton with their most recent losing streak. And even the media is starting to poke at the players, which is damn disrespectful, but at least we got a good meme out of Dry Saddle's interview, but that's pretty much the only positive thing regarding the oils from the past few weeks. So just keep tabs on Edmonton, because something is looming beneath the surface. The last topic I want to cover before we move on to the UFC is the so-called NHL All-Star Game. 
And you can probably guess what my point of view is even before I start to open up about the situation, but still, let me address the situation. So if you haven't checked the rosters already, let me introduce the four all-star teams. Metro Division, in goal, Tristan Jerry and Freddie Anderson. Demon, Adam Fox, Adam Pelak and Zach Wierenski. Up top, Sebastian Aho, Claude Giroux, Jake Kensel, Jack Hughes, Chris Kreider and the captain, Alexander Ovechkin. Pretty good. Next, the Atlantic All-Stars. In goal, Jack Campbell and Andrei Vasilevsky. In defense, Victor Hedman and Rasmus Dahlin. Up top, Drake Batherson, Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Huberto, Dylan Larkin, Captain Austin Matthews, Steven Stamkos and Nick Suzuki. Okay. From the central, in goal, Jose Saros and Cam Talbot. In defense, the only name is Kale McCarr. Up top, Kyle Connor, Alex Deprinkat, Nazem Kadri, Kyle Kaprizov, Clayton Keller, Jordan Cairo, Joe Pavelski, and Nathan McKinnon as their captain. And lastly, from the Pacific Division, goalies John Gibson and Thatcher Demko. In defense, the only name is Alec Pietrangelo. And up top we have Leon Dreisaitl, Jordan Eberle, Johnny Gaudreau, Adrian Kempe, Timo Meyer, Mark Stone, Troy Terry, and the captain, Connor McDavid. So pretty good teams at a first glance, right? Yeah. But let me tell you which players didn't make the cut. Mikko Rantanen, 6th in league scoring. The villain, Brad Marchand, 10th in scoring. Roman Josi, 3rd amongst the defensemen in scoring. Artemi Panarin, 19th in scoring and over point per game. JT Miller, point per game. Jason Robertson, 37 points in 31 games. Alexander Barkov, 32 points through 28 games. Sidney Crosby, 31 in 28. Nikita Kucherov, undoubtedly one of the best players in the league with 15 points in 10 games. And from the defensive end, names such as Aaron Ekblad, Chris Letang, John Carlson, Quinn Hughes, Morgan Riley, and Drew Doughty to name a few, who are basically a point-per-game D-man. Oh yeah, and almost forgot the biggest snub this year. The current Vesna favorite, Igor Shestyrkin. You think those guys are not deserving of a spot in those rosters? Yeah, what a f***ing joke. I know the NHL is trying to market its product by bringing at least one player from each team, but seriously. You think that Nick Suzuki is more deserving of his spot than, for example, Alexander Barkov or even Brad Marchand. 22 points through 39 games. And I don't mean to slander Suzuki, but the team has been straight up awful this year and I wouldn't consider that point total elite by any means. But you will be the judge of that. This event needs some serious rebranding because currently the rosters are not all-star caliber and I don't think that there is any room for discussion about it. The product has been planned for the past few years and at least to me the word all-star means elite level or world class. But would you really argue that Cam Talbot who doesn't even have the best stats in mini 
is more deserving of a spot in the so-called all-star game than for example the breakout goalkeeper Karel Vemelka, who has stood on his head in most games for the Yotes this season, who are in the bottom of the central. And to leave out the current best goaltender in the league is just offensively mind-boggling. And I totally understand that Andersen, Jari and Sheshterkin are all in the top 5 of the best goalies this season, but still, you don't prioritize those guys over the leading candidate to win the Vesna. You just don't. Only if you are Pasi Mustonen, but in any other circumstance, no chance whatsoever. And I have to say that even how much you might hate Brad Marchand, you have to acknowledge that he's been their best player this season, and even Pasternak or McAvoy would have been better picks from the Bruins to represent their team. To me, the first thing NHL should adapt is a similar concept from the NBA, where they have the Rising Stars games before the actual All-Star event to showcase the brightest and most exciting young talent in the league. And after that, you get all the current best players together to play in the All-Star game with or without the rookies, depending on their performances during that season. And by the way, how on earth Troy Terry, who has been probably one of the best young players in the league this year, got in as the last man by just fan votes is another huge question mark for me. I get that the NHL doesn't want similar outcome to the 2016 event when John Scott got voted into the All-Star game, but seriously, this format currently just sucks straight up ass, and you guys need to address it. This event is for the fans, and they should have bigger impact on the outcome than just voting in the last player that didn't get picked in the first place because you really want to put the most skilled, most entertaining and more than anything the best players on the ice and not just some space fillers to have a free weekend in Vegas or wherever the event is held that year. It's sickening to see this type of blunder happening and although we support the equal rights movement but you gotta give a break because otherwise you might as well present this event as the NHL fun weekend or some stupid sh** like that. Because for sure, it ain't a superstar weekend, and that's a fact. But now that the teams are already decided and we can do nothing about them, we might as well see what they got in store and just hope and pray that something gets done by the next year so that the fans don't have to be ashamed of this event titled as the All-Star Weekend. We have, or at least I have complained about all the major events so far, the U-20s, the Olympics, and now the All-Star Weekend, so we might as well pack our bags and hope that the playoffs are not as big of a blunder as these three have been so far. I still have some hope left, but when it comes to the All-Star Weekend, something needs to change, because its meaning has worn off. And if you want to gain more fans, you need to make this weekend special, and currently it isn't that for the wrong reasons. So get to it NHL, and hopefully we'll see something different next year when we arrive to this point of the season. Please and thank you. But now I'm done with my weekly rant, so next on the agenda, the UFC 270. So strap up. Boy. 
Do we have a doozy to start off the year? Two belts on the line, an ending to a fierce trilogy, and a heated bout between two former teammates in the heavyweight division. It doesn't get much better than this. Otherwise though, the card isn't as stacked as I would like, but the both main events are going to bring the house down without questions. And by the way, I have to mention that when I tell you my predictions, they are only for entertainment purposes since I'm not a gambler. So do not think that these are calculated bets and I don't advise you to bet based on my own predictions. Or if you feel like it, do it. But as a note, this is not a betting podcast, but those you can find from all over the media if you would like to calculate the odds for these fights. But now, back to the topic. Other main card fights are going to showcase some exciting talents, but for the most part, there ain't too many big names that have solidified their spots in the top 15. So I'm going to just give my quick predictions on these fights and move on to the main course pretty swiftly. First fight is between Trevin Giles and Michael Morales, who is coming fresh off of Dana White's Contender Series, making his UFC debut in the welterweight division. Even how entertaining fighter Giles is, I'm hoping to see Morales make his first impact in the octagon this weekend, so I'm going to say that Morales will win by decision at the end of it. I'm excited to see his debut and what would be a better outcome for him than to win his UFC debut in the Honda Center, so win for Morales with the split decision. Next on the line we have Said Nurmagomedov, and before you ask, no, he's not Habib's brother, against the 15th-ranked Cody Stamen in the Bantamweight division. Kickboxer versus grappler, and even though some odds would be against it, I'm expecting Nurmagomedov to finish this fight in a knockout, even though Stamen's experience might win him the fight in this bout. Nurmagomedov has showcased some exciting stand-up games, so the prediction will be a TKO win, for Nurmagomedov in the second round. Then we have another welterweight bout between Michel Pereira and Andre Fialho as the last fight before the two main events. Another fighter making his debut in the octagon, but this time I'm going to bet against the rookie and go with the seasoned veteran Pereira on this one. He's riding a 3-1 win streak and even though there is a real chance of Fialho Walking away as the winner, I believe that Pereira gets it done and shows the ropes for the upcoming talent. He's not known as a real knockout artist, so let's say that the same trend continues and Pereira wins this bout by a split decision after three rounds. If it goes to Fialho, it is going to be a knockout, but we'll see how it ends up going between these two. But then we arrive to the main event. And the first title fight of the night is going to be the co-main event in the flyweight division. And the third bout between these two guys, number one ranked and the former flyweight champion, Davison Figueredo, against the champ, assassin baby, Brandon Moreno. I am very much looking forward to see the ending of this trilogy, since seemingly Figueredo went back to Brazil to regroup and build up his anger to take back the title. 
as Moreno prepared for another fight as the first Mexican-born UFC champ in the UFC history. The first bout between these two ended in a draw in December 2020 and was basically decided after Figueiredo's repeated groin strikes which resulted in a deduction of one point from the scorecards. The second fight though was a clinic from Moreno and he took the belt home after submitting Figueiredo in the third round of the championship fight. Moreno was surprisingly dominant in that fight and Figueiredo looked dazed in the octagon for some reason and didn't get to showcase his ruthless stand-up game that we have come accustomed to. For this fight though, the game plan is pretty much set. It's all or nothing for Figueiredo and Moreno has a shot at solidifying his spot as the top flyweight as he defends his title for the first time. That will bring an additional element to the table for sure, so we just have to see how well he operates under such pressure. On the other side, Figueredo has to bring a new element into this mix, since last time he got straight up disarmed in the octagon and Moreno just outclassed him in that fight. It is hard to find ways for him to surprise the new champ and even though the first fight between these two showcased more of his skills, he wasn't dominant by any means and if he hasn't worked towards finding gaps in Moreno's game, I'm afraid that the end result will stay very much the same in this exact fight. So either Figueredo goes full on balls to the wall and brings out his inner beast that we saw during his time as the champion or otherwise he might need to rethink what he wants to do next. I would have loved to see Moreno taking on one of the other challengers, but seemingly these two are above the rest of the pack, so I won't complain too much since I know that the fireworks are going to be there once the bell rings 100%. So to add it all up, Figueredo has to outperform Moreno in the stand-up and stop the takedown attempts from the Mexican waterbuck. My prediction is fairly simple. Figueredo has a chance to take back the gold, but I'm very much leaning towards a stoppage that sees his opportunity pass by once again. So in conclusion, Moreno will win the fight via submission in the fourth round. It will be a hard-fought battle between these two, but I trust my gut instinct and I believe that Moreno will successfully defend his title for the first time. And do not miss this fight. Are we clear? Alright, let's head to the main event. The big boys are back and unlike last time, this title fight will be decided between one of the most technically sound heavyweights we've ever seen and the current champ that has punching power that will put a real dent to your skull if you don't keep your head on a swivel. Cyril Gane versus the champ Francis Ngannou. Boys, we have a fight. French kickboxer Cyril Gane has raised up the rankings with tremendous pace and recent wins over Junior Dos Santos, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, Alexander Volkov and Derek Lewis have enabled him the chance to grab the heavyweight belt from the hands of one of the most ruthless strikers in the sport's history, his former teammate Francis Ngannou. Gane comes to this fight with 10 wins without losses, but now he is without a doubt facing his biggest challenge to this date, 
and quite honestly, by a large margin. This extremely technical striker has the gas tank to go full 5 rounds and his footwork is one off, if not the best in the weight class, while his striking speed will surprise you. He has real knockout power in both his hands and his legs and he possesses a nightmarish game style for many heavyweights because of his quick footwork and elusive striking combinations. He also is a one-dimensional fighter by any means, even though his kickboxing background might suggest something else, but his record shows that he possesses a skill set that will bring a real challenge for the current champ. Is the toolbox big enough at this stage to grab the belt from the knockout artist? That is the question we need an answer to, but fortunately we don't have to wait much longer to see the result. And Ganu, on the other hand, has become probably the most feared fighter in the UFC, and for a very good reason. He has a punching power that will send you to the gates of heaven if you don't keep your head off the center line, and his towering frame is a menace to work with if he ends up on top of you on the ground. 16-3 record, and is currently on a 5-fight win streak, with wins over Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, Jarsinio Rosenstrike, and most recently, the former heavyweight champ, Stipe Miocic. 4 out of 5 first-round KOs from the last 5 fights is a brutal evidence of his powers, and the cold hard fact is that the margin for error in this sport is just one punch. And when you have this kind of power to put rhinos to sleep, it's an undisputable asset without any questions. And I mean, he has been so convincing in his last few fights that before Gane stepped into the picture, I was wondering if anyone could challenge this guy in the next few years, but... We found a dance partner for him sooner than I thought. When it comes to predicting the outcome of this fight, I have my simple reason on picking the winner. And this is the one-punch knockout power that Engano possesses. And it's undeniable that Gana needs to perform some never-seen magic in order to survive the hellfire from the Cameroonian B-21 bomber. To put it simply, Engano will knock out the upcoming challenger, and before you start to argue against Engano's win, let me give you my perspective on this situation. To me, Gane is a surefire heavyweight champion in the near future. There's no denying that. And if you listen to the previous episodes where I covered his last two fights, I probably mentioned how much I liked his style and saw the future of the heavyweights in him. But now just isn't the right time, unfortunately. And like Michael Bisping always says when young bucks are coming up the ranks, that they are in a blissful space where they've gone unbeaten and feel like they can't be beat. But there's always that one guy that makes them realize that they are not the god. But more so, pretty soon going to meet him if they don't put their feet back on the ground. And this kind of thing happened to Izzy where he felt that there was only John Jones who could really give him a real chance, but turned out that he had a lot to learn, so now he's going through that path of teaching, and he will come back stronger than ever before. Believe me.
So I see that exactly happening to Gane as well. And even though they've trained together, I just feel like he's underestimating Nganu's power. And he's going to eat a meat sandwich this weekend and that won't taste like a ribeye. But more so like an overcooked taint. But like I said, I think that it's going to be one of those wrong plays at the wrong time moments. And he will without a doubt become the champ in no time. Because he possesses such a high level skill set. But this time I feel like Engano will preserve his title and walk out the octagon as the undisputed champ. So my prediction for this fight will be a KO for Engano in the second round. We'll see how his career will continue from that point. And is it even in the UFC. But until the fight is over, we just have to enjoy this event with all of our hearts. But with that said, we are pretty much wrapped up when it comes to this episode. We managed to cover the most essential NHL news from the past few weeks and went through the extremely exciting UFC 270 and went full-on analysis mode on the two title fights. We'll see what we come up with next week, but before that, we got a few big NFL games coming up on Sunday, so also make sure to check out how Tom Brady's Bucks advance to the conference finals. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and once again, I respectfully ask you to rate the podcast if you haven't done so already. It helps me more than you think, and if you want me to cover some specific topic, don't hesitate to send me DMs on my social media if you have some great ideas for the future episodes, or just want to leave some feedback. This week's episode is now done and dusted, so once again... Thank you so much for listening and have an awesome week, you animal. Stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. All right.